And this is the Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the third chapter. Glory Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus went home, and the crowd came together again so that Jesus and the disciples could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for they were saying he has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of demons he casts out demons. And he called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then, indeed, the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin, for they had said, He has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers are outside asking for you. And he replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The assembly may be seated. And grace and peace to you from God, our Creator, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. I just want to say it feels really good to say, and the assembly may be seated, and everyone does it. I miss that kind of power. But today, I want to start by making mention of the fact that, I don't know if you know this, families are complicated. Families can be a bit complex. I grew up in a household, a modest-sized house in the city with three brothers and three total bedrooms in the house, which meant throughout my life, I had to learn to share. I shared a bedroom. I shared clothing. I shared my parents' attention. And as the favorite, it meant I was giving up attention, and it's really hard to do that. But you have to learn to do those sorts of things. And believe it or not, sometimes as a child, sharing didn't go quite how my parents had drawn it up. Fights would break out. And my mom would always say the same thing when all the dust had settled. She'd pull us together. She'd say, you know, one day you're all going to be best friends. Now, she was right because... Moms are always right. But in the moment, I thought it was wishful thinking at best. But lo and behold, my brothers are my best friends. It doesn't mean we always agree. It doesn't mean we always get along. But we figured out how to dance that dance of complexity in our relationship such that we know who we can turn to when we're in need. We know who we love and who loves us back. Now, 
I share this because today we get a glimpse into Jesus' family life. And to say it's a bit complex might be a bit of an understatement. Our gospel begins with Jesus returning from what can only be considered a rather successful beginning to his public ministry, a ministry of healing, a ministry of giving new life to people, of casting out demons. And he returns home to this welcome. When his family had heard it, that he was coming back from this ministry, they went out to him to restrain him, for they were saying he has gone out of his mind. Wow. He returns home, head held high, to be met by his family who says, you've gone out of your mind. And if that wasn't bad enough, he's got the religious officials also diagnosing him with what I'm going to call Beelzebubitist, that he is possessed clearly by Satan himself. And again, when I hear these sort of accusations, when I hear these words being thrown around, what I think of is name-calling. And growing up in a household with three brothers, I know a thing or two about name-calling, okay? I've been on all sides of that particular game. And what I realize is that name-calling is a last resort. When you got nothing else to offer, resort to childish name-calling. Works like a charm, right? And I think that's what the religious officials are doing here. They see that they can't replicate the miracles he's doing. They have yet to be able to outsmart him when it comes to Scripture. And if you want to talk about crowd sizes, Jesus is beating them and besting them there too. They got nothing else to offer, so they do the thing that children do. They resort to name-calling in an effort to try to undermine Jesus. And my mom always said, oh, don't listen to him, don't respond, right? When my brothers would call me not nice names, oh, he just wants a response out of you. Okay, again, I now say the same thing as a parent, but it doesn't fix the problem in the moment because what I want to do is respond with words or fists myself. And that's, of course part of the challenge in all of this. But as we know, Jesus doesn't respond with name-calling and certainly doesn't respond with fist-throwing. In fact, Jesus today does the most Jesus thing possible. He takes a step back and he starts telling parables. Let's use it as a teaching moment, right? And that's what he does. And so he begins by telling these really, really quick little parables that essentially just lift up for the religious officials how absurd their logic is. How can a house be divided against itself? How could Satan cast out demons if he himself is a demon? Think it through, guys. He very quickly sort of undermines the bad logic. And then he continues with another parable. A parable about a home invasion. A parable about how it is that you can't steal what's in the house unless the strong man in the house has first been tied up. What is going on? What is this? I've read this little parable many, many times throughout my life. And you know what I always do? I stop and go, hmm, that's weird. And then I just keep reading. Because it is very strange. But I think, the more I think about it, actually it might be good news. It might be the central good news for us here this day. Because you see, what it does is it 
shows us that Jesus is not going to back down from a struggle. That Jesus isn't just going to play nice because it's family we're talking about. But he's going to have the hard conversations. He is going to struggle back and forth to ensure the best results for all people there. This little parable puts Jesus at the very center of the struggle for God's coming kingdom. A kingdom where God is breaking in and taking that strong man, those systems of oppression that have crushed people for so long, the systems of, of the Roman Empire, which has killed people for so long, and he is going to bind them up. He is going to free those people and bind up those systems of earthly kingdoms that make people's lives less than life-giving. I think it got me thinking then about the systems in our lives, the institutions in our lives, and how sometimes, even with the best of intentions, the results aren't always what we want. I was thinking about families, for example. This last year has been really, really difficult on every household. I'm going to say that again. This last year has been difficult in every household. But now we're starting to understand. We're able to apply statistics and reflect back on what's going on. And there are some alarming trends. There was a study recently conducted through NPR that said that women were four times more likely to have to give up their career or vocation this last year to ensure that the household could just function. Think about that. Four times more likely to just walk away from a career because children needed to be fed and cared for at home or educated at home. Those are alarming types of statistics. And with it, it's disproportionate the amount of chores and daily tasks that women are taking on, including, yes, educating children. Mothers are becoming teachers rather than serving the careers they previously had. And then on top of it all is the increased isolation has led to a dramatic rise in cases of domestic violence. So what I'm saying is even an institution as foundational to our society and our lives like our families can sometimes create these circumstances that aren't exactly life-giving for all involved. And sometimes the church can be one of those institutions too. Our inability over the years to be inclusive of people of all backgrounds and diversity is alarming. Now, it's easy for me to say that, looking and sounding the way I do. But the truth of the matter is that it is true. And while we may exist in the Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, who seems to want to bring people to the table and be inclusive, I want to remind you we're still in the infancy of this process in so many ways, particularly with the LGBTQ community. It was only in 2009, that wasn't that long ago, believe it or not, that we finally allowed for people who identified 
as queer to be included on our clergy roster. And even then, the opportunities available to people are not the same. The opportunities that I have are certainly not the same as someone who is a part of the LGBTQ community. And so there's plenty of work to be done. And it's happening, right? Just a few weeks ago, you may have heard this, the ELCA has elected into office called their first transgender bishop, Megan Rohr of the Sierra Pacific Synod. That is a huge, huge thing. But electing one bishop or calling a handful of pastors into calls that may not be well-suited or equipped for those pastors doesn't mean the problem has been solved. Doesn't mean that there is a wide gap in how people are treated, even in an institution as seemingly open and foundational as the church. That, you see, is what I appreciate so much about Jesus this day, is that Jesus comes and he wrestles with the foundational institutions of our world, of our society, of our faith. And what he does is he moves beyond a simple blind dedication to religiosity and instead dedicates his life to sharing the overwhelming good news and love of God, an open-hearted kind of love that defines God's kingdom through and through. And in doing so, today he even redefines some of our own relationships in this earthly kingdom. And that's where I think he makes that little turn, as some womanist theologians would say, to a kingdom. A kingdom, K-I-N, where family, siblings, and kin are those who do God's will by loving as God loves. Because you see, we were all made in God's divine image. And therefore, we are all worthy of God's divine love. And while families may be complicated and complex, God's love is not. Because, let me remind you, everyone is awesome. Thanks be to God. Amen.